Welcome to the Unstoppable Eventrepreneur Podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about business strategies, thinking and habits that are essential to building a successful event planning business while enjoying a fulfilling lifestyle. I am your host, Mayo Silvers, an events veteran with over 20 years of experience and also an unstoppable eventrepreneur with two multiple six-figure events business. Come listen with an open heart and open mind. Be ready to reset, recharge, and rejuvenate your life and your business. Welcome to the Unstoppable Eventrepreneur Podcast once again. Thank you for giving me your time and your earbuds every single week. I so appreciate you and you are the reason why I do what I do. So I have something very exciting to share. For the next three weeks, starting this week, I will be doing a three-part series of things to consider when planning and hosting your ticketed in-person event. If you are an event planner or a coach or consultant who are, who's thinking of doing a ticketed in-person event, you do not want to miss this three-part series. I'm going to try to keep each series or each episode 30 minutes or less, but I'm not so sure I will be able to do that. So this will be one of those few episodes that I might go over my regular 30 minutes or less podcast episode. So bear with me. To give you an overview of the three-part series, starting this week, okay, it will be part one. And then next week will be part two. And then the third week will be part three. And I have split it into different contents for each week. So part one, we will cover the common mistakes made when planning an in-person event. Part two, we'll be talking about ticket pricing, sales strategy, and sponsorships. Part three, we'll be talking about what to do when you're on-site. So on-site management and also post-event evaluation. So what do you need to do when you're on-site for your event? And also, what should you be doing after the event is over? Okay, I'm going to repeat part one, which is this episode today. We'll cover the common mistakes made when planning an in-person event. Part two, which is next week, you will be learning about ticket pricing, ticket sales strategy, and also sponsorship. Part three, we will talk about what are the things that you should be doing or look out for when you're on site. And also, what do you need to do after the event is over? Okay, so without further ado, let's start with today's episode, part one series, the common mistakes. Why do I want to start with common mistakes? Because a lot of you, if you are listening to this podcast, I'm pretty sure some of you will agree with me when you're planning your in-person event or when you're thinking an in-person event, there may be some steps that you miss because you don't know what you don't know. And I want you to be aware and audit your thought process and also your planning process if you had already done an in-person event before, especially a ticketed in-person event before, and ask yourself if you commit, if you had committed these mistakes, okay? And also, if you have not done 
a ticketed in-person event before, this will be your guiding lights. So you don't make these mistakes when you're ready to host your first ticketed in-person events. And these are not in particular order. So it's whatever that comes into my head, I wrote it down and I'm going to share them at random, okay? So the first mistake is hosting the event or thinking to host the event, okay? Without any concrete objective being defined. What do I mean by that? That means you're thinking, oh, I want to, I want to do a, an in-person event and I'm going to charge tickets for it. I'm going to charge people to come to the event. And when I asked you, why do you want to have a ticketed in-person event? You said, oh, just for people to hang out, to come together. So I would feed them some good food, some entertainment, and basically just to have a jolly good time. You know, just to build relationship, network. That's, these are the common comments or reasons when I talk to event planners and also uh, coaches and consultants. When I ask them, why do you want to have a ticketed in-person event? Oh, just to hang out with my clients, just to hang out with people who want to have a a good time on a Sunday morning or an evening or to do a net to, to network with people in the community. Okay. So the objective of hosting the event is not defined. So it's blurred. Okay. When you don't have a clear objective, a clear objective when you are hosting an in-person event, it will make you sidetrack or make errors when you are planning the event. And I will elaborate more in the following common mistakes made, okay? What are the common, what are the objectives when you are planning a ticketed in-person event? What are the objectives that you should be considering? When you're going to host an event that you want people to pay ticket to come, you need to give them a reason why they should come. And you also have to give yourself a reason why you should be spending time and also have a financial investment in doing this event. So for coaches and consultants, when you're planning a ticketed in-person event, there are a few objectives that you can consider. Number one is enrollment. You want to and you want to invite people who may or may not be in your ecosystem at this time or your marketing funnel at this time to come and meet you in person. And you want to be able to enroll them at the end of the of the uh, in-person event. Your objective could be activating or lengthening the lifetime value of your existing client. And that means you will invite existing clients to come. And then at the end of the event, you want them to extend their membership or their enrollment with you, their current enrollment. You want them to extend that with you. Okay. Now, you could have an objective, which is just community building, brand loyalty building, where you invite people who are already in your ecosystem and people who, who are either your existing clients 
or non-existing clients, but they are familiar with you and you invite them and you have an agenda in terms of what you're going to be talking about and the experience that you'll be giving them at the in-person event where they will become the ambassador of your brand. They will talk about you. They'll talk about your services, your product, and they might even enroll into your program for those that you have invited who are in your ecosystem system and they enjoy the community that you have built with your clients and people in your ecosystem and they may join your program. If not, they become your brand ambassador. You may have an objective of just creating brand awareness. So creating brand awareness fall along the same category as enrollment. So creating brand awareness could be you are an event planner or a coach and you want to just host a nice Sunday brunch where you talk about wellness, relationship, financial. I'm just giving an example, okay? Um, and people come together and they have a good time, have a have a good time in terms of the food and beverage, entertainment, and the content you're being shared. And you talk about, you know, you showcase your skill. If you are an event planner, you showcase your skill of putting together an event together. So these people who come to enjoy their Sunday morning with you and the fabulous vendors that you have invited to participate at this event they will see your capability to put together in an event and they may consider hiring you for their own events in the future. So they know, they now know who you are. Before that, they may not. They now know who you are. They now know what you do. At least you plan events. They also get to witness the beautiful events that you have planned. So this is great for event planners who wants to create brand awareness. And for coaches, if you want to create brand awareness, that means you want to reach out to your core audience, okay? People who are not in your ecosystem. So this, this is also could be, this could also be linked to enrollment because ultimately, if they are not in your ecosystem, but they come because of the, the theme or the agenda that you have crafted for the in-person event, is of beneficial to them. And at the end of the event, they feel that they have a connection with you. Then they will enroll into your program. So these are just a few examples, okay, of objectives to do an event. So for event planners, your objective could be just to bring the community together, the local business owners together. So you do a vendor networking event. So that could be an objective as well. But the nature of the event, such as what venues that you choose, who to invite, and what experience you're going to give to them, all stem from defining the objective of the event. Okay? Now, the second mistake would be hosting the event without data to prove that there is a need and one to have an in-person event. That means you just decide to, let me just throw a ticketed in-person event because I think it's a great idea for people to just come together and hang out. But there has not been any 
any suggestions or requests or feedback from people that you know that you have been talking to that there is a need for a ticketed in-person event. For instance, if you are an event planner, you are thinking of hosting an in-person event together and you're thinking that, ah, you know what? I want to do a community event where people buy tickets to come and they have a family fun day and then I'm going to invite local communities to come, local uh, business owners to come and it's going to be great. People will buy tickets to come and vendors will pay to exhibit their boobs in your head. That's what you're thinking, right? But you have not spoken. You have not spoken to any friends or family or do a little survey to find out from your, your, your followers, your friends and family, the people in the community, if there is a desire to want to have an in-person event where people get to hang out together. You have not spoken to any local business owners if there's an interest for them to want to participate on that, uh, on that day, that month, um, and this type of in-person networking events. It may not be a good fit for them or their business. And for coaches and consultants, a lot of times we just want to bring our clients together and say, you know what, let's just hang out and have a good time, right? Just like not knowing your objective, but you have not gathered enough data to find out from your potential clients, that means people in your ecosystem, okay? And your existing clients, whether is there a need and one for an in-person event? Or are they okay to just communicate with you or learn from you virtually? Do they, do they have the desire to want to spend time and money to come see you in person and learn from you in person? You have no idea. You just thought that it's a great idea and of course everybody will come, but then you don't have any solid data or proof to show that, they, that, that there's people who will want to want to invest time and money to come and see you. Okay, so that's also another mistake. So my suggestion is to always have a survey or talk to people, get some feedback and get a general consensus of do people want to have a ticketed in-person event that they will pay to come and spend time and money to come to meet you and enjoy the experience that you're putting together, okay? The third mistake, securing a venue based on what you want instead of aligning with your objective. So securing a venue based on what you want instead of aligning it with the objective of having the event. What do I mean by that? When I speak to event planners or coaches and consultants who wants to do ticketed in-person events, immediately they already have a venue in mind because they had such a great experience when they were there the last time. Could be an independent venue, all right? Or it could be at a hotel where it's by the beach or um, has a um, very nice facility. And you say, ah, this is a good idea to have to, it's a good idea to have my event at this venue. So you select a venue based on what you want instead of really understanding the objective of the event. And I'm going to give you more examples. Okay. I have coaches who, who are thinking, of doing their ticketed in-person event at a venue in front of the beach. That means oceanfront. 
Okay, for them, it's so important to have the ocean, have an ocean view for their event. But having an ocean front venue also means that a lot of times more money. Okay, if the objective of your event is enrollment, and the people you are going to invite will be people who are in your ecosystem and also not in your ecosystem. Okay. If your objective is brand awareness and enrollment, that means these people are here to learn from you. Okay. They want to learn from you as much as possible to consume whatever you are giving them as much as possible. And you are taking that opportunity to build your authority. Okay. And your expertise. So the deciding factor is to pick a venue is the venue, does it have, does it have a conducive facility that people can learn from you? It is not, should there be an ocean view? These people are here to want to learn from you, not so much to hang out at the ocean. To, to be able to hang out at the ocean is a perk. But if their main objective is to come and learn because the content that you're sharing is so powerful, is to come and learn from you and hear you speak and hear all the other speakers that you are hiring to speak, they wouldn't care less whether the event is going to be at the oceanfront or not. All right? So you want to be able to start thinking, what's the objective of the event? What makes sense in terms of the setup for the event, in terms of who I should, who I should invite and what type of environment is the most conducive for learning, okay? That is also one of the common mistakes. So mistake number four, not gathering enough data to determine how the event agenda should look like. So please don't confuse this with number two, not gathering enough data to prove there is a need for the in-person event. This one is mistake number four, not gathering enough data to determine how the event agenda should look like. Okay, mistake is you think that you want to talk about certain topics, but the people that you are inviting may have their own idea of what topics they want you to include. I make this mistake myself. I am a, an event planner with over 20 something years of experience in planning events, and my niche is planning ticketed in-person events for coaches and consultants. And I also do my own ticketed in-person events. And I have to say that I am a culprit. I have to own up to making this mistake myself. I have an idea of what topics I want to teach because I thought that it's going to be so beneficial for the people who's going to come. And often, if I were to remember to ask the people that I want to invite to come to this event, what other topics do you want me to cover? A lot of times, they will give me suggestions that I didn't even think about to cover those topics. So I have to remember the event is for them. It's not for me. So there's no point talking about the topics that I want to talk about, even though I think it's beneficial for them. But I must first make sure that I talk about the topics that they want me to talk about. And if time allows, then I will include the topics that I want to talk about. Okay. So you want to be able 
to you want to be able to collect data to find out what do they want you to talk about and not just you talking about the things you want to talk about, okay? Mistake number five is putting your needs and wants before the attendees when crafting the agenda. This is also somehow related to mistake number four and mistake number three. So you put your needs first. You want an oceanfront hotel, okay? Because you love the ocean. And when you're crafting your agenda, you want to talk about what you want to talk about, okay? You want to be able to lecture, 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 teach, teach, teach. But then if you didn't do a survey to find out what is the needs and wants from your potential attendees, then you will not be able to craft an agenda that will be beneficial for them as well as for you. So one example is you are thinking that I want to be, be oceanfront because I love the ocean. I want to talk about these topics. Your attendees' needs and wants could be, I don't mind being in a hotel or venue that's not oceanfront it will reduce, if it reduces the cost of the ticket, number one. And I don't want to just listen to you talk all day. I want to be able to have time to network with the people who's there with me or who are the other attendees and also have some workshop incorporated in it so we can implement and do some work in addition to listen to you teach. So this is an example, okay? And you may want to have um, uh, to incorporate a, um, let's say, yoga and, uh, and also uh, breath work in your experience. But if your people are new to your world, and they are here to just come in and out. If having this experience, which is very nice, increase the ticket price and also take away the time for them to be able to sit in the room with you to learn more, they may not put the yoga and the breath work as a priority. Okay? So event planners, you also have to think about this as well. When you're planning your in-person event, you may want to have it at a fancy venue. You may want to use beautiful furniture, which by nature, we always want to do that as event planners because we create beautiful events. But if all these are going to increase the cost of the ticket, okay? If you think that you need to feed them all three meals, beverage service, snacks, and that increase the ticket cost, your attendee may be open to the idea of, I don't need you to feed me breakfast. I don't need you to feed me lunch. Okay, just give me coffee. And that reduce the ticket cost. That's fine. I would rather that you do that. So your experience may not be the experience that they want. Therefore, sending out a survey is so important to determine what type of experience we want our attendees to have versus finding out what type of experience that your attendees really want, okay? All right, mistake number six, pricing your ticket price on based on your gut feeling and also what other people are charging without analyzing the estimated cost of hosting the event. This happens all the time, 
Okay, I have to say that I never make that mistake. <laughs> Thank God. But I see this happen all the time. You are pricing your ticket based on how much people will pay to come. Number one, based on your gut feeling that how much people will pay to come and you doing a research on your competitor, how much are they charging for um, events of similar nature? It's good to collect data based on what's the market tolerance of events of this nature, how much people will want to pay. But that doesn't mean that you need to price it according to that. You have to price your ticket based on how much does it cost to produce the event and how many people, okay, and how many people to invite for the event so you know how, how to price it, okay? For me, I'm extremely conservative in terms of my ticket pricing. I calculate the cost of the event at based on the maximum number that I want in the room or the room can fit, how much does it cost? And then I divide by the minimum number of people I want to have in the room. So I get the ticket price. So then I compare the ticket price to the market price or the market tolerance for a ticket price of that event, of the nature of the event, similar nature of the event. And then I decide, does it make sense to price my ticket at the price that I want to price it, okay? So that's mistake number six. Mistake number seven, giving yourself too little time to plan and to sell ticket and to secure sponsorship. You, in reality, in a perfect world, you should have at least six months to plan, at least, and that's really pushing it. In an ideal world, it should be nine months to a year. Why do I say that? Because now I make this same mistake myself. When I make this mistake, is a conscious, is a conscious decision. Because I know that the nature of the event that I'm going to plan doesn't require certain elements. Therefore, I'm able to to um, have the in-person event, the ticketed in-person event and get it all done in three months, okay? So now is the time that I'm recording this episode is September 28th. I plan to have a ticketed in-person event on December 2nd. That is three months out, okay? There's a big no-no when you do a ticketed in-person event. But I make a conscious effort not effort, conscious decision that I can do this because I'm only, my objective is to nurture and extend the lifetime value and build brand loyalty with my existing clients. I am not selling to the co-audience. So I don't need so much lead time. And the event is very small. It's 10 people or less. And it's only a one-day event. And I already have the topics. So that doesn't require so much of my time in terms of planning. But if you are not an event planner, okay, or you if the event that you're going to plan, even if you are an event planner, the event that you're going to plan, you haven't done something like that before, you are going to require time. And the most obvious reason is ticket sales. You need to have time to sell tickets. 
my rule of thumb is three months before the start date of the event, you need to be able to already sell enough tickets to cover at least 50% to 75% of the cost of the event. And at the three months mark, if you have not reached that 50% to 75% or 100% to cover the cost of producing the event, then you may want to consider doing paid promotion like running ads so we can get more ticket sales. So you want to have enough lead time to do that. At the same time, you also need to give sponsors, okay? You need to give sponsors time to, to consider if they want to sponsor your event. So this is also another reason why you need to have more planning time, okay? And certain things require time to produce, like any custom-made branding uh, things like your backdrop, like your marketing materials, all those need time as well. If you're planning within a short period of time, you're going to have to pay rush fees and any other pop-up or last-minute fees that people will need at least six to eight weeks advance notice to produce. So you're incurring extra costs for your event. Okay? All right, mistake number eight. Asking someone from your team to plan this event when they are not familiar with contract negotiation. Okay. So this does not pertain so much to event planners because I sure hope that you as an event planner, you know what to negotiate on a contract. Now for coaches and consultants, a lot of you want to save money. So you decide not to hire an event planner. Okay. And you have your VA or your executive assistant, your chief operating officer, your team member, basically, okay, to plan the event for you. you. You may think that you are saving money because you don't have to pay an event planner. So this person that you are high, that could be on your payroll, a full-time payroll, you're just giving them extra responsibility, okay? This is not their core responsibility unless you have an in-house events team and all they do all day long is to plan events so they're very familiar with what to do and also what to negotiate on a contract. But I don't know of many, even eight-figure entrepreneurs who have an events team dedicated to do their events. No, a lot, of time, a lot of times they're marketing people, they're VA, they're operation be, be people, online business manager, okay? So when you ask someone from your team to plan the event and they're not an expert in the events field, you are tripping over, a thou you're tripping over, okay? Um, what is the saying that you Americans say? You're tripping over, $1,000 to save a dollar, okay? So what do I mean by that? That means you're having someone who are not 100% skilled to do the job, to negotiate a contract that you are binded with financially, okay? That you, you are obligated to fulfill all the terms and conditions on the contract. 
I have seen this happen many, many, many times among my circle of coaches and consultants that I know. And they come to me after they make this boo-boo, okay? They themselves try to plan the event or they have a team member try to plan the event and then something happened, okay? At the event or something happened and it involves financial obligation. And those financial obligations could have been avoided if the person on their team or they themselves, if they are planning the event themselves, know what to look for when negotiating the contract. Cancellation, attrition. Those two are the major things. And other hidden costs that may not be on the contract, but if you don't know what you're doing or you're not skilled in this field, okay, event planning field, and you have not done a lot of contract negotiation or a lot of in-person events, you may not even know what to negotiate. So you are thinking that you're saving money and you don't have to pay for event planner and you do everything in-house. But the cost that you're paying that could have been negotiated to be waived or reduced will come back to bite you, unfortunately, okay? And also, the opportunity cost of pulling your team member from their core responsibility to have them do something that is not their core responsibility. How can their performance be 100% for the areas where they're supposed to show up as their core responsibility? You have to think about that, okay? Mistake number nine, not measuring the return on investment after hosting each event. I make this mistake too. So don't feel bad if you are making the same mistake or you have made that mistake. After the event, you should measure the return on investment. What did you get back in return when you host the event? That also goes back to the objective, right? You have to ask yourself, did I achieve the objective that I want to achieve when I said that I want to do this in-person event? What are types of return on investments can you measure? Did you enroll new clients? Did you make new connections? Did you gain new followers? Did you build your pipeline where there are people who said that they will contact you to hire your services? These four, uh, these four could, could be the most common uh, return on investment measurement in you know, for, the, for the benchmark to measure the return on investment, okay? So you don't want to just do an event and then completely forgotten about it or just move on to do the next event without taking time to audit. Did you also, another one is, did you also um, uh, exceed your budget? Did you keep below your budget, right? All those things. So you don't want to just move on so fast without spending time to audit your 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 whole process and also the return on investment whether is did it did was it worth your time and money to do this event okay the last common mistake is not following up after the event okay to gather data that will help to determine the objective for the next event 
and the theme for the next event. So this is very related to number nine. Number nine is to measure the return on investment. And then number 10 is you didn't follow up after the event to gather data from those people who were with you at that event to find out how you should plan your next in-person event. So you want to put their needs first because those are the same people who probably will come for your next in-person event. So you did not gather the data to help you determine the objective for the next event and the theme for the next event, okay? Those are the 10 mistakes that I see commonly made by event planners, coaches, and consultants that I have been in communication with, all right? So now let's dive into the different types of objectives of the event and how that influences the theme such as the content to be covered and also the type of venue to be used and the type of setup that you should select. I do want to say that when I go deep dive into this topic here, I will not be going into detail on exactly how to plan the event as the focus of this three-part series is for you to consider the different things that you need to consider when planning a ticketed in-person event. If you want to learn in detail, okay, regardless whether you're a coach, consultant, or event planner, if you want to learn in detail how to plan a ticketed in-person event, send me a DM, send me an email, reach out to me as I have a created a course for this, okay? I have created a course on how to plan a ticketed in-person event. And it comes with templates as well. So if this is what you want to learn, just reach out to me. But this three-part series will give you a general overview of the things that you need to consider, okay, when planning a ticketed in-person event. So let's go back to the different types of objectives of the event. And I mentioned that briefly just now which is one of the mistakes, right? You did not determine an objective when planning a ticketed in-person event. So what are the different objectives? And please remember, this is a very important, important um, criteria when you are planning your in-person event, ticketed in-person event is the objective is going to drive everything for the in-person event. It goes, it's going to drive the agenda slash talking points Topics to be covered slash experience is going to drive the venue that you should select for the event. And it also drives the type of setup you are going to use for the event. And it also drives the benchmark that you should be using to measure the return on investment for hosting the ticketed in-person event. If you get this part wrong, everything else will go wrong as well, okay? It will also drive the ticket pricing strategy. I forgot to say that, okay? So the different type of objectives, as I mentioned briefly, could be, is it for brand awareness? Is it for building brand loyalty? Is it for building a community? Is it, is it for enrollment, such as gaining new clients? building your pipeline. Those are a few examples. If let's say your objective is 
to have new enrollment, okay, and brand awareness, that means your content needs to be, or the theme of the event needs to be a lot of teaching. And then the setup would be uh, a setup that is conducive for them to take notes. So, and to also do workshop. So the type of setup could be round table, crescent round, crescent round setup. So they can look at the screen, look at you without turning their backs and also encourage them to talk among each other, right? So that is the type of setup that you should consider. And then um, the, and then the, uh, the content will be heavy on, on teaching and heavy on, on co-working, right? If the, if the objective is building lifetime value of your existing clients or extending the lifetime value of your existing clients and building a brand loyalty and community, then the setup could be a little bit more relaxed. The setup could be um, a town hall setup or lounge setup or living room setup where people are more relaxed and they are still learning, but in a more creative environment, okay? So they're a little bit more relaxed and it encourages them to chit-chat more, to talk more among themselves, and you will be sitting among them. So it's less formal, less teacher-student type of environment, ambience, and setup. That also determines the type of venue that you want to select. So the venue should have some form of an ambience or or furnishing that encourages that type of, of um, learning, okay? So you have to get your objective clear. And then once you know your objective, you will know what type of people to invite. And then you will know their needs and wants, which will determine and influence the type of venue that you are going to select, which then determines the type of experience and setup that you can provide at the event and at the venue, which then determines the cost of the event. And finally, the cost of the ticket. Okay, now you see everything in full circle. All right. So I'm going to end here. It is a lot of information. I strongly suggest that you and your team member, if you have one who's going to help you to plan the event instead of you hiring a planner, they should listen to this part one series. Okay. The next part two series, the next episode will be about ticket pricing, ticket sales, and sponsorship. After listening to this part one series, if you realize that this is too much for your team to handle or for you to handle, we have two options. You could either buy my course, okay, and try to figure it out and then have a better understanding and do it yourself or have your team consume the content and have you do it yourself because it's too much for you, okay? All this overwhelming information. But after you study the course, it will be, it will make sense, okay? Or option number two, you realize that, no, I don't have the time or the expertise, nor do I want to spend time, money, and my team to do this. And I want to 
discuss the possibility of us working together, then reach out to me by email, by DM, my social media handles, everything is on the show note. So reach out to me and then I will have a conversation and decide whether am I a good fit for you. If I'm not, I'm going to give you other resources and then you will be well taken care of. If we are a good fit, then I will share with you my process, how I go about doing this. And then if that is fine with you, then we can work together, okay? If you have questions about the course, reach out to me as well. I'll be happy to show you the behind the scene, what the course includes. And then you can decide whether you want to do it yourself or you want to hire me in a capacity that your, your team is going to do it and then I can just guide them along instead of me doing it 100% for you. So there is a done with you and a, and a done for you version, okay? Or you do it yourself version, which is you buy the course and you do it yourself. All right. Thank you so much for giving me your time and your attention. And we are going to conclude this part one series. Watch out for part two series next week. If there's something that I have missed or if you have question, please reach out to me and I will try to include that uh, in the following two series. So mini Q&A, if, if there are questions that you want me to, to answer, okay? And don't forget to share this episode to any event planners, coaches, and consultants who are interested in doing a ticketed in-person event so they can learn as well. Give me a rating and a review. I will so appreciate that. And I will look forward to speaking with you next week. Now, before I go, I do have a, something exciting to share as well. We will be having our next in-person, um, not virtual, our next virtual event where is our workshop that is happening on the 25th and 26th of October. This is all CEO top. So I named this virtual event as CEO Business Audit Masterclass. It's called BAM, where we will be doing a lot of CEO work, such as, let me pull out my notes so that I don't miss anything, such as, we will go over how to measure the effectiveness of your marketing outreach so you know where to spend your time and your marketing dollars. We go over how to track your sales conversion rate so you know what you need to tweak in your sales consultation process. We go over how to evaluate whether uh, a lead is a good lead so you're not booked, busy, and broke. We go over how to calculate the return on investment for each event that you have done so you know how to manage your resources such as your time and your money. And we'll also go over on how to track your financial and sales projection so you know how many events you need to book in or how many clients you need or how many events or slash clients you need to book in what period of time to hit your financial goal. So this masterclass is geared towards event profs. So event planners, event designers, event decorators, not so much for coaches and consultants, okay? So if this is something that you want to sign up, this is going to be a paid workshop. So the ticket is $37. You will get a, um, a download of a mini course. I haven't decided what, which one yet. A mini course, but it's always going to be a good one. And also a complimentary 30 minutes one-on-one -on -one call with me. So 
you can click on the link on the show notes to sign up for the workshop. Thank you so much for your time. And I will speak to you again next week for part two of the what are the things to consider when planning your ticketed in-person event. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Eventrepreneur podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, can you do me a favor? Please leave us a review and also share our podcast so we can help more eventrepreneurs out there. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss any new episodes.